said it against all odds. It's unbelievable the odds against him. Um, and he was nominated. And what's even more, uh, not more, but uh, equally important is that he has now a VP, Mike Pence, who is basically a tremendous supporter of Israel. So you now have Trump, President Trump, I should say, and VP, Vice President Mike Pence, and they're going to be tremendous for Israel. And when you combine them with Putin, not a bad, it's called the trio. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so this is obviously the latest with Trump, and um, now that he's been nominated, obviously what's going to happen is that he's now obviously going to go after, really in a very strong way, thank you, in a very strong way, uh, Hillary. You know, it's interesting to analyze why is there so much opposition to Trump? That's an interesting thing to analyze. You notice there's an incredible amount of opposition. Okay, you know, I mean, there's certain things actually what he has done is not, I don't think is very intelligent. Certain of the things he did, the statements he made, I think some of the ideas that he gave should have been more diplomatic. You know, okay, but obviously one of the, uh, the virtues, I hate to use that word, but it is true, of Donald Trump is that he is outspoken. And he can be outspoken in an outrageous way, which is great, because he's defiant. And like I told you before, the reason why he's chosen is because of the, his ability to be defiant to the establishment, the status quo. And like I said, uh, what it seems that the Bonjour wants to be matahir, purify, or raise America from its terrible status that Obama has placed it in, and that seems to be the reason, and I think there's an enormous of opposition. I think uh, the opposition is coming from two sources, and they're both spiritual. They're not, I mean, the manifestation of those forces obviously is uh, in, in this world, and you have so many people. That I, I find it astounding that after he gave a speech, I thought his speech was magnificent. I'll just For the record, I thought Trump's speech was magnificent, uh, the, obviously, the theme of uh, Trump's speech was that America is diseased, sick, because it's being led by evil people, incompetent, corrupt, and downright evil people. And he was describing America in, as, as that it's a sick country. It's incredibly, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 degraded. Uh, what they have made of America is just beyond belief. So what he's really describing is America in a very sad state, and he's offering an incredible remedy. Uh, you know, but it's amazing that I think the media, the next day, was saying, "Well, how can you talk about America being dark?" You know, it's just incredible to listen to the media. I, I've never heard such idiocy in my <coughs> life. You know, Trump is talking about what America really is. It is. It, it has gone from a tremendous height of virtue. And uh, what do you call it? And um, uh, you know, as a, as a, an honored nation, it has become a terrible nation. That's what uh, it has become. And Trump is de describing uh, America as Obama and and, and uh, Hillary has made it, and they're accusing him of, of uh, what do you call it? Talking about America as if it's dark. They're the ones who made it dark. You know. Uh, I, it, it's, to me, it's like a, a doctor gets up and gives a lecture about a specific disease, <clears throat> and, you know, and also on how to rem remedy it, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the journalists who are covering that lecture, this doctor is saying, how dare he describe this, this person has in, having this disease? Excuse me, that's exactly what the whole point is. It was a terrible speech. Yeah. It, 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 it be, the question is, what is the opposition here? Well, if you think about it, there are really two forces in the opposition, and they're both spiritual. They're both ruchnias. What are they? First one is the, the angel, the Malach of Yishmael. If you remember what I told you who Obama is, right? If you remember that shir, a couple of shirim back, lectures before. And uh, the one who's going to lose out on this is the Malach of Yishmael. It's going to be Yishmael. Why? Because what the Bansha wants to seem to do is to be metahir, to make Edom great again. We know why, to help Israel in the upcoming war. 
So if Edom becomes great, that's the exact opposite of what Yishmuel wants. Because he wants, uh, you know, Yishmuel, the Arabs, Muslims, to dominate the world. And if Trump comes out, Trump is the worst nightmare of Muslims. Not that he will be against Muslims if they're fair and just, but these crazy uh, extremist Muslims and so on and so forth, he's obviously going to uh, tremendously oppose them. So the Malach Yishmol must be going out of his mind. As it is, he's looking at the Umus of the world, you know, the whole Middle East, and all the Muslim nations are dying. The Arab nations are dying. It's astounding if you look through the entire Middle East. Uh, and that tells you that Yishmol is on the way down. They're taking over Europe. What? They're taking over Europe. No, but there'll be a civil war. Don't worry about Europe. Not going to allow this. I mean, after a while, they're going to realize it's either us or them. You know, uh, 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 yeah. enough, enough, enough hallucinations. You see, it's starting with Munich. Uh, yeah, well, they exploded yeah. the bombs. What bombs? Munich. They killed. They killed a whole bunch of guys. I don't in know Munich. details. But I know there was a bomb in Munich. No, that yeah. I know. Yeah, it was in the. Yeah, if I was a yeah. No, it's open season. Uh, it's open season yeah, on Europe for the Muslims. It's incredible what they're doing, and I think ultimately you're going to see a tremendous clash of civilizations. Uh, but it's too late for them anyway, because they have so many Muslims as uh, citizens and so on. I think it's too late. But you know, Europe deserves it. They didn't want the Jews, so the Bereshit says, "You don't want my Jews? No problem. I'll give you the Muslims. Let's see what you do with them." Yeah, it's a good replacement. You know, you don't want you don't want my Middle Eastern people. I'll give you other Middle Eastern people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you'll have the Syrians, the immigrants. You know, they'll just wipe out Europe. It's incredible what's going on. Um, but you, you could see the Nisim going on. It's like you you look at and you can't believe the speed of the change. I mean, Cameron. Cameron is a prime minister of England, and and and, and like and in two days he's gone, you know what I'm saying? And the Labour's falling apart. It's just astounding to watch nations falling apart, and which you know, and so therefore the Malach of Yishmol is obviously going crazy because he's about to lose big time. As it is, this whole Middle Eastern uh, nations they're all dying, you know, between uh, Libya, which is it's a basket case. Egypt is suffering terribly, you know, and he's going crazy. What's his name? Al uh, Sisi, you know. Uh, and then, of course, you have Lebanon and Syria is a basket case. You know, you have Iraq, Afghanistan. You know, it's a uh, uh, what do you call them? Well, it's um, Turkey. It, it's important for, in a certain sense, uh, for Turkey to be um, under Erdogan because Erdogan is now behind. Israel. I mean, he wants to work now with Israel. He realizes that it's for his benefit. So the coup failed. They, they you know, because we don't really know what would happen uh, with the other guys. Maybe they would have befriended Israel. We don't know. But certainly Erdogan signed a deal with them. Pipelines and gas. It's, uh, it was an excellent deal and so on, you know. Um, so, um, so certainly the status quo has remained, you know. But um, in any case, so Yishmuel is obviously, the Malach of Yishmuel is quaking in his boots, if he has boots. Uh, the second one who's really going crazy is the Sutton. The Sutton is going crazy because what this means is that once Yishmuel collapses, he has no more, as if, if you remember what I said, once Yishmuel collapses, he has no more energy. Because I told you, what's responsible for everything you see in the last 25 years is the Sutton is dying. That's the problem. And Yishmuel was a possibility for him, and that's vanishing in front of his eyes, right? But not only that, the rise of Edom is for what? It's to save Israel. It's to allow Israel ultimately to evict the Arabs, and therefore the whole Eretz Yisrael will come back to, to the Jews. Strong Edom doesn't relate to strong Sutton, because they are... No, this is the Toiv <laughs> Shabbat this is a good part. No, I mean, Tosh of is uh, is much more. Asav uh, as it should have been. Is Asav as it should have been to a, it, have been no, no. no. Does it mean something that Trump's daughter is fruit? I, I, I gave that sheer. Oh, yeah? Yes. 
You need to listen to last week and the week before. This is the sixth Shia about current events, so it means a lot. In fact, that's where his daughter is from. No, to ally Trump with Israel. Adraba. So, as I said, if Edom becomes great, it's the Toiv Shabbat which means it's a good part of Edom, right? Which we know there is. It's a good part of Esav and so on, um, which I spoke about. And uh, therefore, and they will be helping Israel, just like they saved Israel in World War II. They fought the Nazis, and because of that, uh, Germany lost. Without the American war, in the war in the in the in the war, then Israel would have uh, uh, Jews would have been killed left and right. In any case, um, so therefore there are forces arrayed against Trump. Because as far as I'm concerned, Trump is uh, allied for the good to really change America and therefore really to assist Israel ultimately. You see, so that's so far, and so far, like I said, I, I already felt or knew whatever that uh, Trump is going to win in July of last year, even though everybody was saying it's impossible. Because his ego and his temperament is the very reason why God has selected him. Adraba. That's his, his claim to fame. Because the Muslim needs somebody, as I mentioned, who will defy the entire world. And Trump will do that in order to help Israel when Iran attacks Israel in this massive war. That you need a guy that will look at the world and tell them all to jump in the lake. You know what I'm saying? That's, on the contrary, that is his qualifying characteristic. What everybody doesn't realize is his gaiva, his arrogance, or his whatever, narcissism, whatever you want to call it, is the very reason why God has chosen him. Yeah. Anyway. She would tell me he was very concerned about it because it's like Shaykhaz. Something like um, a person could be bought through special interest. Trump can't. That not, but through ego and cover it could be bought. No, on the contrary. I, I showed that a second so idea. Yeah, it's okay. Because I said this in the previous show, but I'll say it again. Trump was chosen for, for his ego, on the contrary, to defy. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, uh, the fact that um, he, he, the fact that he is very much, what the word is, um, he's, he's ego hungry. Trump has to see his name on everything. You know, okay, it's, a, it's, a, it's a neurosis, whatever you want to call it. It's obviously a flaw in his character. But that's a, a very good flaw. Why? Because Trump wants to see his name up in lights for all time, eternity. Now, it's one thing to have your name up on a building, big deal. But what happens if you have your name as the greatest president in the United States history? That's immortality. Therefore, he will be the greatest president in U.S. history precisely because he is an egocentric person. Adrab, you see? That's why he will make America great, which means he will do what the people want because it, 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 it plays right into what he needs, and that is to be immortal. Got it? So what everybody looks at as a defect is on the contrary. That's his greatest uh, mila, that's his greatest advantage. You see, you have to look at things in the reverse. <laughs> Of Kibbutz, Trump. You see the extent. You know, there's no requirement that the president of the United States has to be an honor, a humble man. There's no requirement for that. The, the great, the main idea that a president has to be is honest, and to do his job. And his job is to represent the United States, the people, to do their will. That's what a democracy is. And he is. He's an honest guy. As far as I'm concerned, he's a, he, he, he's a, he, I mean, you hear people saying this, but I believe it's true. He's a nice guy. He's an honest guy. 
he cares for, you know, uh, the, the average guy. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so he's an egomaniac. Okay, you know, but that's exactly what his strength is. You know, if he wasn't uh, that, then he would be, uh, he would be uh, um, subject to all kinds of fears of people. He wouldn't say anything because, like everybody else, he's afraid to buck them, you know, and not on the contrary, you know. So, therefore, I believe he will be the president, A, that he will be an incredible president, is B, because he's a bright guy. I, don't, I, I never understood why this country keeps making lawyers as president. They are the worst breed. And I don't mean to insult all the lawyers, don't get me wrong. But lawyers, there are many lawyers out there that are really bad people, you know, and they know how to manipulate people. You know what I'm saying? It's to their interest that they keep you in court for years. I mean, anybody who's dealt with uh, you know, a lot of these people, there are lawyers who, of course, who are very good. But a lawyer is not the person you want up as a president. You want a businessman because he knows the bottom line. And if you have an honest businessman and a guy who really cares, it'll be incredible. I always say, what's the gr if God wants to destroy a nation, what's the worst thing that they can do? And that is to elect or have a despot dictator as a ruler. He will destroy them. The greatest chesed or t uh, that a God could do to a nation is to put a benevolent king, not a democracy. Democracy is not a great way. The greatest form of government is a benevolent, wise king. Because he doesn't need committees, he doesn't need Congress, <coughs> and con congressmen are the worst. I mean, they're all on the take. They're all corrupt. They may start out as idealistic, but boy, are they corrupt. Many of them are idiots. It's incredible, you know, that we think that because they got into office, they're larger than life. Wow, you know. Many of these guys are corrupt, incompetent, and just downright idiots, and so on, you know. So if God wants to destroy a nation, what he will do is um, uh, either make them democratic, sounds funny, uh, but, but the democracy where the people have no idea what's going on, because you know what the people want, all they want is entitlements. They want a chicken in every pot, and therefore they will vote for you. I mean, you know, and, and, and so on, which is absurd. But a benevolent uh, monarchy, a king, is the greatest form a benevolent and a wise king is the greatest form of government. And the world has had uh, so few of these. It's incredible how everybody winds up and they just go crazy What's trying to destroy. <coughs> Charlemagne was a famous guy, but he's about 1,200 years ago. It's a long time ago. Yeah, he in Charlemagne, uh, 900 CE. No, he was way before. First Crusades were way after him. I thought, oh, 100 years later, 1050 or 1060. Now, he was, in the he was in the 10th century, 950, but he instituted tremendous amount of good things for Europe. He brought them many ways out of the, uh, the Dark Ages, yeah. But you have so few. Lincoln was a great president, you know. They were, they were, these were men of integrity, tremendous integrity, men of principle, and they, they were honest. You know, and they feared God. That's big Myla, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And therefore, they, they, they were great. George Washington, when they wanted to make him another president you know, after a term, he just went back to his farm. I mean, he's a great man, that he's not blinded by the honor and the covet and so on. America has had certain great presidents and, and so on, you know. So that's what God can do to destroy a nation. Just give them a leader that will destroy that. That's corrupt, incompetent, and evil. That's the end of it. That's why most of the world looks the way it does. How do you see that Hillary's campaign and this third party that popped up is not going to be detrimental? What third party? Supposedly this third. Yeah, it's, it's nothing. I want to tell you something. Do not look at politics. Look at what God wants. You know that you understand. The, the Last key. Time he said he might want Hillary because of because of uh, because the of the uh, well, the Averis. Yeah, I said it's a possibility, but right now it looks like uh, it's going to be him. Yeah, there's a possibility because the bunch may, be, you know, he's going to. What America, what America has done is terrible. I mentioned the homosexuality and the same gender marriages, homosexuality, transgender. I mean, it's like what's happening here, <clears throat> and so on. But. Uh, uh, so far, I, I believe it's going to be Trump, you know, and it's going to be incredible when that when that happens, you know. Um, 
So this seems to be going on so far. And look, every day from now until election day, it's going to be fascinating, you know, um, and so on. But what I want to talk about in this year and probably the next, doesn't seem to end, is what will be, not so much with American politics, but what does the Muslim have to do in a certain sense to bring the Mashiach? And I believe it's going to happen in very short order, uh, really very short order. And in order to understand that, you have to understand certain things. And the key concept ultimately is the Muslim will not bring a Mashiach before he prepares mankind <clears throat> in order to receive him. Because the Mashiach himself, whoever it is, his ore, his light, his chokhmah, and his personage is so incredible that he can destroy the world just by that incredible ore. So therefore the Basham needs to prepare society, countries in general, especially the Jewish people. And I want to talk about that because I believe this is what we're really looking at now, is the beginning of something that will radically change the Jewish people in order to prepare them for the entrance of the Mashiach so they won't be destroyed when he comes. Uh, and, and I will show you why and proof and so on and so forth. So that's the theme that I want to develop now in the context of current events. Okay? So that's where I'm headed. <clears throat> in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, <clears throat> there's a certain possible. It says, Vayikach Moshe's Atzmois Yosef. And Moshe took the bones of Yosef, correct? And he took it with him out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, okay? Because Yosef <coughs> said, <coughs> he made them swear that you will not leave me in Egypt and you'll take me out. The reason why that has profound meaning is this. Because Yosef represents the ore of the Mashiach. Yosef is, he's the, he is what's called the, the soul block, the Shirish Neshama, actually it's more than the Shirish Neshama, it's the Esoi of Mashiach ben Yosef. What's the story of Mashiach ben Yosef? What kind of person is he? So you need to understand this, what it, it's all about, and what, how is mankind being prepared, and then what do we have to see in our days? So I need to really bring you up to speed, as they say. <coughs> Number one, uh, it says in the beginning of Bracious, Okay? And there was evening and morning one day. That's what it says. Now, it says, right? Yemechod means one day, which is cardinal, not ordinal. It should have said Yemishain, the first day. Every day it says first day, second day, third day, fourth day, and so on. But it doesn't say that. It says Yem Echot, one day. So Rashi brings it down, right? Why it uses Yem Echot one day as opposed to the first day. And he says because on that first day, Yem Echot was who? God was the only one living being that existed. So Yem Echot means the day of one. Yoim Shal Echot, the day of one, you see. So therefore, it says the word Yoim Echot to state that God was the only existing uh, living being on that day. Rashi says that. However, if you think about it, it could also mean something else. Yoim Echot means one day, or the day, Yoim Shal Echot, the day of the one. And what that means is this. <clears throat> we know that the central feature or the essence of the Bershalom is that all existence emanates from him, all of it, you see. Now, our problem is, or it was made that way, is that we don't see that. We do not see God as the source of our existence. We don't see that. As far as we're concerned, we exist independent of the Baruch I mean, he's there, and we're here. But what 
the real truth is, of course, is that he, we emanate from him. Therefore, Yom Echod could mean this. Yom Echod, the day of one, or the day of the one, which means this, that when you were in that first day of creation, what you would immediately experience is you would see how everything emanates from God. It was a day of one, even though there were trillions of different things, right? God, the first day of creation, God created everything, basically, and then it unfolded in the other days of creation. Uh, but what you saw is that there was no period, there was no separation between God and anything else. It was visible, it was revealed. So you could see not only all the trillions of things that the Bershom did, but you also saw the connection, that everything emanates from him. So even though there were trillions of items, right, the stars, the moon, everything, right, you, it still is a day of one because everything emanates from God. Very important concept. Okay, what is this Yom what, what, what kind of an, what kind of a, uh, uh, an insight, revelation is that? That is the Om Mashiach. That's really what it is. The Or Mashiach, also known as the Or Hagonas, okay, also known as the Orishim, it's not a light, it is a perception, it's an insight, where you see total reality. What is total reality? It means you see the outward manifestation of the phenomenon, or phenomena, and you see its ultimate cause. You see how it goes back immediately to the existence of God, how everything emanates. That's really what the Or Mashiach is. You see, it's not another Torah. It's Torah at a different level. <coughs> That's what the Om Mashiach is. Okay, very important concept. People think he's going to come and reveal something, whatever. No, no, he will. But what he'll do is connect everything to the Rabbanu Shalom. And therefore, that's total reality. That's Yom Echod. Okay? That concept of Yom Echod is staggering. We've never seen anything like that. And to, to experience something like that would be, in our present level, it would be absolutely devastating. In fact, that's really what happened. Uh, and Matan Torah, what did the Jews experience? They experienced Yom Echad. That's what happened. And they all died. <coughs> what does that mean? <clears throat> what happened was the Bershom revealed himself <coughs> to them, first two mitzvahs. But that revelation was so overpowering, they all died. <clears throat> what did the Bershom really reveal? So Rashi says that the Bershom opened up the heavens and he showed them, Shehu Yehudeh Shil Oilam, that he is the one of the world. In other words, the real, uh, the real prophecy or the real message that the Mosheim gave Kleinsville is not just the mitzvahs, but it is through the mitzvahs that they saw who God really is, that he is the essence of all creation. And everything emanates from him. He is the one of the world. That's what they realized. And that was so devastating, it killed them. What was that revelation? <coughs> that revelation is the Om Mashiach. That's really what it was. You see? So imagine the Om Mashiach, if people realized that, what would it do to everybody? It would kill them. What? If somebody touches the Yichud. Yeah, well, you, it, it wasn't an exposure of the total Yichud, then the whole universe couldn't exist, but it was certainly enough to kill them all. And, well, and why, so on. Why would limited exposure kill? I mean, total exposure will kill for sure. By definition. Yes. Why would limited exposure kill? Uh, because there are degrees in limits, you see. And the exposure... <coughs> look, when the Bershom gave them the mitzvah, I am the Lord your God who have taken you out of Egypt, yes, that wasn't just a statement. That was an understanding how the entire creation emanates from God and therefore, Enid Movadoy, that's really what he was revealing, that there is no Egypt, there's nothing but him, you see. So when they experience that, I am who take me out of the land of Egypt, what do you mean? I am, period. And there should be no other gods because Enid Movadoy, there is nothing else, you see. So in essence, it's not just the mitzvah that the Jews experience. It's the revelation behind the mitzvah of the essence of God. And it killed them all. Now, if you think about it, and that is the origin. Now, if that's the case, right, as I, I, I'll show you, if Moshe Rabbeinu, if, if, if this is what happened to Jews when they did that, could you imagine when the Mashiach comes today, right, and he really reveals that origin to kill everybody? 
because that's what he's going to reveal. Ainid Mulvadoy. Yeah, yeah. And the Pardis was much much lower than what they got. Much lower, sure. You see? So therefore, uh, we therefore the, that's the power of the, the Orishan. Devastating. If you're not prepared, you're finished. Okay? And God is not going to do that to mankind. He's not going to come and kill everybody. Now, what does this have to do with Mashiach bin Yosef? Well, think about it. In the end of the Torah, it says what? Right? When Moshe Rabbeinu is giving a bracha to all the nations, right? He's now talking about Yosef. And the symbol of Yosef is an ox. Okay? So he says the following. Right? The firstborn of his ox, beauty is his. Right? Let's talk about an ox. Symbolically, obviously, refers to Yosef. So he says that the beauty of the ox, the firstborn of his ox, beauty is his. Okay. Vikani Re'em Kaunov. But the horns of his ox, right? The horns of his ox isn't the horns of an ox, it's the horns of a Re'em, which is a, a mythical animal that existed for a short amount of time. Unicorn? What? It's not a unicorn, no. No, a unicorn has one horn, this is Karni Re'em. The horns, so it obviously can't be a unicorn, although people would like to think it's a unicorn. But anyway, but it says, Vikani Re'em Kaunov. The, the horns of this ox isn't the horns of an ox, it's the horns of a Re'em. What about these horns? And with these horns, right, this firstborn of Yosef is going to go to the nations. Wow, what a, what a metaphor. What's it mean? Uh, what it means is the Geula. It's redemptive. Here's what it means. Now let's take a look at the the uh, analog. You know the uh, what what this means. Bechoshirei, the firstborn of his ox. Who is the firstborn of Yosef? Mashiach ben Yosef. So it's referring to the Mashiach ben Yosef. Okay. Hodeloi. It's magnificent to look at. Okay. What does it mean? It's magnificent to look at because the Kanira aim. When you look at his horns. It's beautiful. The horns of this ox is beautiful. Now, obviously Jews don't have horns. This guy who made that mistake was obviously Michelangelo when he made the statue of David. He put horns on it because it's by Moshe Kikoran Oponov, right? So Koran and Karen means horn, but it really means a ray, a beam of light. But anyway, it says that this individual, right, or rather, this ox has the horns of a ra'im. Now, the horns of an ox are very short. They're short, but they're very powerful because the shoulders of the ox is massive, you know. So the strength of the ox is not so much in his horns, it's in his body. Okay. But the horns of this ox isn't the horns of a ra'im, uh, ox, it's the horns of a ra'im. Apparently, the horns of a ra'im are beautiful. You ever see some horns on antlers, beautiful magnificent symmetry some of them are incredible to look at just the you know uh just the way they the way they even even a a, 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 a not a, a goat uh, a, a sheep ram you know look at shofar some of those shofar the way they twist and they and they come out they're they're beautiful they're really piece they're really works of art you know so therefore the horns of this bull are the are, the, are magnificent horns Beautiful symmetry. Now we know, right, that the Mashiach ben Yosef doesn't have horns. <coughs> obviously not. So what is referred to? Well, what is horns really? Horns are what? Horns are weapons, aren't they? Horns are used as weapons. That's why. Uh, uh, that's why uh, 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 an animal will have them. But where do those weapons emanate from? The head. Therefore, what that is saying is that the weapons of the Mashiach ben Yosef. It's Chochmah. It's Chochmah. Because they emanate from the head. That's the metaphor. But that Chochmah isn't just Chochmah. It's magnificent. Okay? It is beautiful to look at. It's... In, not, it, it, it's, it's... If you really had a look at uh, what, what does it mean to have information or knowledge or Chochmah, which is beautiful, what is the definition of beauty? What, is, what does it mean to be beautiful? Harmony, where everything blends as one. There's no fragments, right? But it all blends as one idea. You know, if you look at, for instance, uh, let's say you listen to a Beethoven symphony, right? What's 
but it's incredible if you listen to some of his stuff, you know. Or if you think about it, all it is a bunch of frequencies, you know, just a bunch of notes, which is frequency, sound frequencies. But the arrangement of those frequencies, you know, the melody and the, and the counterpoint and the harmony, it's incredible, right? It's beautiful. Why? Because what Beethoven did in his music, right, is he took a whole bunch of sound elements and he arranged it in such a way where they integrate as one expression. Beautiful. That's what beauty is. If you look at an art, beautiful art piece, right, same idea. You take all the elements of art, you know, you have the texture, the shading, the, the perspective, and so on, the colors, everything, and it's one idea. That's beauty. What the Mashiach ben Yosef does is the same concept. He takes Chochmah and he unifies all of it as one magnificent uh, connection of all the Chochmah. Uh, the, uh, a very good example is, imagine you, look, you come into a, a rug store, you know, and this guy's got a tapestry, you know, hanging down, because he sells tapestries. You know what tapestries, is, right? Okay. But when you looked at it, you came from the store, you looked at one end and said, wait a minute, this isn't a tapestry, it's ridiculous. All I see is threads sticking out, different threads all over the place. So you go over to the owner and say, excuse me, you know, what is this? It's ridiculous. So the guy said, excuse me, you're looking at the wrong side. Maybe you go over to the other side and you take a look and say, wow, what a picture. That's Chochmah B'Tzuras HaTiferes, in the Tzur of Beauty. And that's exactly what the Mashiach Ben Yosef does. His Chochmah, he's able to show you the incredible blend and harmony, the structure and the connections of everything in reality. And that is such an awesome understanding that you just swept away by its beauty. And what does he do with that incredible chokhmah? Wisdom, knowledge. He will gore the nations, right? He's going to gore, when an animal gores, it pierces them. It will pierce their sheker, their falsehoods, and their tremendous ignorance. That's what it will do. Now, what is this? What kind of a chokhmah is this that the Mashiach uses as a weapon? That's what it's referred to, right? And the answer is... The Orishan. That's what it is. The Mashiach ben Yosef will use the Orishan and it will be such incredible beauty that he will be able to impress on the nations and they will be incredibly uh, overtaken by that wisdom. That's his weapon, you see. But that weapon is a weapon that he will introduce an incredible chokhmah. Okay? So, I have now made the case of what Yom Echor is that it is the weapon of Mashiach ben Yosef, correct? And that that is the way he will change the world through Chochmah. You see? Great. Now, where do we see this? So therefore, we now go back as the beginning of the preparation. And Moshe took the bones of Yosef. You know, in the Torah, there's no Nekudis, there's no uh, vowels or anything like that, right? Punctuation. You could read Vayikach Moshe not as Atzmois Yosef, but as Atzmus, Atzmus Yosef. Atzmus in Hebrew means the essence, the etzem, the essence. So Moshe went out with the essence of Yosef. What is the essence of Yosef? And that's what you have to understand. The Chochmah Bria, the wisdom of creation, the unbelievable knowledge that we lack, right, really is concealed from us. The tafkid of the Jew is to bring that chokhmah, that incredible insight, perspective, and wisdom, and make it open. And that is the Omashiach, you see. And that is the domain of Yosef. So what Moshe Rabbeinu did, the Jews had done whatever they do, whatever their avoider was, the tikkun, rectification. And what they did as a result is he was able to take out Yosef HaTzadik, which symbolizes his unbelievable chokhmah. In fact, in Egypt, they called him Tzofnes Paneach, right? Reveal of mysteries and so on, you see? So what he took out, he finally took out the Chochm of the Bria, the Orishan, the Omashiach, finally was revealed. He took it out of Egypt to bring it to the Jewish people. 
that's probably that's the greatest moment in history to finally take out the prize and to bring it and reveal it to mankind. Astounding. So what did he do? Then he goes to Mitzrayim. And that's why, once that's out, you begin to realize something. Kriya Samsef, where it says that a handmaiden saw what Yecheskel Anovi never saw, and the, what he said, uh, the whole uh, basis of Kabbalah is the Maisim Rekava, the divine chariot. She saw more than him. Why? Because the Orishan was out. That's why. And Kriya Samsef is when people will begin to see that incredible wisdom. And it was only the beginning. Okay, then after a certain amount of time, you had Matan Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And since that Orishim was out, the Boshim gave Klai Yisrael the Orishim. But he only gave them two mitzvahs. And they all died after two mitzvahs. But that's really what was going on. Moshe Rabbeinu was Mashiach ben Yosef. That's really who he was. Okay, and he was going to reveal the Orishim, which was the Luchas Rishonis, which is the tablets, right? The first tablets. Okay. Which is great. <clears throat> so, Klai Yisrael is ready to receive the Mashiach. Okay, but they had problems, Klai Yisrael. They could not tolerate this. This is after what they had gone through. So they ran to Moshe Rabbeinu and they said, Listen, you need to be our intermediary. We can't, we can't tolerate this from the Rabbanishlam. In any case, what happened was, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Fine. He went up, received the Luchas and so on and so forth. And before he came down, you have the Cheto Egel. The Jews are now doing the sin of the golden calf. Now, it's astounding that they're doing the sin of the golden calf. Like, what is this? How do you do a golden calf after what you see? I mean, obviously, it's impossible. No, no, no person is that retarded that he's going to do this after seeing Yamsuf, Egypt. It's incredible. Okay. So, therefore, what they really wanted was an intermediary. They didn't believe that this really was a God, but that this could be an intermediary between them and God. You know, they need an intermediary. They couldn't tolerate a direct revelation from the Barashlam. But that was terrible, because God has no intermediaries. In any case, they did the Chetu Egel, right? And as a result of that, the Orishan went back into oblivion. That's the problem. It went back into, be, into, into being concealed. <clears throat> That's what happened with the Orishan. It was concealed. But it was worse than that. Because not only did the Orishan, not only was it concealed, but the Orishan itself was surrounded by Tumor, Klippa. Tumor. Which meant that the, it had a certain, the Orishan now had a certain barrier. It had a certain barrier. If you would now try to understand the Orishan, you couldn't penetrate it. It was surrounded by a certain defilement or tumor. So not only did you not have the Orishim, you couldn't even have access to it because it was now surrounded by this tremendous barrier called the Klippa or tumor. And this was obviously terrible. And, th and that's why the obviously, uh, that's why it was an eagle, a shore, because the shore represents the Omashiach, Yosef. <coughs> so they made an eagle as a avoid so to speak. So therefore the Chochmah of Yosef, which is the Chochmah of this uh, eagle, which is a, an ox or a calf, was surrounded now by Tumor. The very Chochmah that they could have accessed now went back into the into Tumor and they could no longer access it. Okay. The question then is, okay, well if if, if you if you're if you're into the Orishan, right, and if you you're experiencing it what does that mean? What it means is interesting. People don't realize that the Orishan, the Messianic light, requires no effort to learn. It's immediate. It is total information, or the total, it is a knowledge of total reality, one. Number two, okay, there is absolutely no effort that has to be expended to learn this. And number three, the speed of knowing this information is incredible. It's an enormous acceleration of Chochmah. Why is that? And there's no, no doubt. What? There's no doubt. There's no, yeah. It's it's, perfect. Yeah, it, it, it's, the question is, how is the Orishan able to do this? And the answer is because there's what's called an identicality. 
there are four things which are identical, really. But they just look different from different perspectives. One is Shekhinah, God, the Shekhinah, Divine Presence. That is basically, in many ways, identical to the Torah, which is identical to Yisrael, which is the Neshama, which is identical to Eretz Yisrael. Those four items are really identical, even though they look different. It looks like it's like water, right? Water can be what? It can be ice, liquid, or steam, gas, right? And so on, even though it's the same substance. There's a form change, not a substance change. Same idea, and that's what it means by Chelek Lekaimimal, right? Chelek Lekaimimal means that we are part of God, in, in, a, in a literal sense. Therefore, since the Torah is part of you, right? What that simply means, therefore, <coughs> is that when you learn the Orishan, you're really learning self-knowledge. That's really what it is. You're really learning about yourself. If you are an expression of the Torah, okay, then if that is revealed to you, the Torah at that level of Orishan, then what you're really learning is all about yourself, self-knowledge. That's why it's total. See, no barriers, it's total, no effort. And it's incredibly, and uh, tremendous speed. So therefore, the manifestation of learning the Orishan is incredible. But when you have the tumor surrounding it, bad news. Now you have to have tremendous labor to figure it out. It doesn't go in. It like takes hours and days to get in. You know, uh, it's certainly not fast, tremendous labor, and the information is not total. You see, that's because there's tremendous tumor that surrounds the Orishan. The Ari said, for somebody's learning, for instance, learning Gemara, right? And he has a question. Where does that question come from? You ever wonder? That question is the manifestation of a tumor surrounding that Torah. That's the problem. The tumor surrounds, right? And all of a sudden you have a question. That question is the barrier to understand that piece of Torah that you're learning. You see. So its manifestation is really difficulty in understanding. And then you have to labor over it and it doesn't go in and it's all fragmented and so on. In any case, so that really is the concept of Rishon as we have today. But that Orishan has to be released. How is it released? Or rather, is there a physical analog to what the Torah, the Orishan is? And the answer is it is. It says in the Gemara Shabbos that, where did they put the pieces of the Luchas Rishonis? Where did they put it? Where? In the Oren. Shivrei Luchas in the Oren. Next to the second Luchas, right? But it's behind the Luchas which is what Moshe Rabbein went back, right, to get. And the original uh, Luchas, which is the Orishim, right, is over there. But if you think about it, what is the form of those Luchas Rishonis, of those first tablets? Well, first of all, it's shattered, so it's all fragments, right? It's all over the place, and it's unsequenced, right? So the beauty of the Orishim uh, and so on is an exact physical analog to, or the reverse, I should say, of the Shivri Lucas in the Oran. You see? So it's not just that they are broken pieces in the Oran of the Lucas Rishonis. That physical expression of those pieces is really the expression of the Lucas of the Orishim, which the Lucas Rishonis are. The Lucas Rishonis are broken, so everything is fragmented. There's no total reality, and the whole thing is unstructured, unsequenced. It's like just it's like I give you a ten thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, right? Imagine I gave you a jigsaw puzzle that has one hundred thousand pieces. What would you do? You know where to begin. You wouldn't know where to begin. No, you would. There's, what, what the, what's the first thing you'd ask me? Where's the box? <laughs> you want me to me to do this? I need a box. And even with a box, it's formidable. But without a box, without a structure, you don't see how anything connects at all. You see? So the old region is all Chochmah in a box. The picture. The grand picture. You see? And therefore, since the old region is surrounded by Tumah, therefore, it's, uh, the way it lies now in the Oran is also completely broken. The problem is there's no box. 
That's the problem. You see? So that is the manifestation of the tumor or the klipa that surrounds the turtle. You see? Oh, so the question is, okay, well, so what do we do? How do you get it out? And for that, we begin to understand a very unusual thing. Today's Pirkei Ovis, it's Perik Vav. And in it, in it says that, and you will eat bread and water, you will sleep, you will sleep on the ground or whatever, and you will be Omel and Torah, right? And then you'll be happy. Why? There's no Chochm in the world that demands you struggle, you sacrifice, or you labor intensely over it. If the Chochmah demands it, fine. But that this should be a requirement makes sense. Think about that, you know? That the requirement to know the Torah is to suffer, to sacrifice, to struggle. That is the requirement. You don't find that in any Chochmah in the world. Yeah, sometimes things are hard, that's true. But that's because to understand the Chochmah, you've got to work hard. But that this should be a requirement, whether you work hard or not, you need to self-sacrifice, whether it be externally by you know being poor and, and sleeping on the ground, and so on, right? Or um, uh, it, it, you know, it, like what, what does it mean that you need to do this in order to understand the Torah? And the answer is, not only that, you find from the Mishnah, which is Mishnah Dalad of Perik Bav and Perik Yavis, but you find many other expressions where it says, Hema melem vanachna melem. They labor, expend effort, and we do. They expend the effort and they don't get any reward. We, however, get reward. You know? Why is there such an emphasis on Amelus? You know? Not only that, it says, Yogatu Matsoso. If you yogea, if you expend effort, then you will know. And if not, Lo Yogata, Lo Matsoso. You won't know. Is this true? You mean I can't understand something simply? And then you have in the Gemara Brachas where it says Lefum Tsara Agro, based on the Tsa is the reward. Whoever heard of that? You know, whoever heard of this kind of expressions? And now you begin to understand. The only way to take the Torah out of the Tumor is Amelus. That's how you take it out. If you don't have Amelus, you can't get the Torah. Why? Because our job isn't to know the Torah, it's to release it from the Tumor. And if you do, you will immediately understand it. It's interesting, it's a whole different objective. In normal Chochmah, secular knowledge, the job is to know. So if it requires effort, fine. If it doesn't require effort, fine. Right? It's a matter of, will I know the knowledge or not? But in Torah, the job isn't to know. The job is to release it from its prison, its chains. Once it's released, it's out. It's amazing. There's a story of the Beis Yosef, you know, where he, he, he tremendously labored to understand whatever, a piece of Torah. Tremendous. And then he, he figured it out. He goes to a shul, whatever, and he sees some guy there that's, you know, learning the same sugya that he was learning. And the guy's saying his chiddush like was nothing. So he, 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 he felt terrible. The base Yosef, you know, <coughs> I spent the whole week on this, and this guy's just saying it out. You see, so he asked, I think it was the Ari, he asked, or maybe he asked his Magid, whatever, because the base Yosef had a Magid. He had an angel that taught him, you know. So the Magid says, you don't understand something. Your job was to release it from the Tumor. Once it was out, the guy picked it up like nothing. You see? That's where you see that the job of the Jew, which is shocking, the job of the Jew isn't to know, it's to release the, the Torah from the Tumor, and then automatically it flies into your head. That's why Chazal say all the time, you know, if you exercise effort and labor and you sacrifice, you'll know Torah. That's why the from Tsara Agra, according to the Tsa, the suffering, is the reward. Same idea, that's the amelis, the labor, you know. Or you got the matsosa. If you yogea, if you give effort, matsosa, you will understand, you will find it. If not, not. Again, and that's why they labor and we labor. They labor and they get their chokhmah. Because their labor will give them their chokhmah. 
we labor not to get the Chochmah, but to release the Chochmah from its clipper, from its tumor, and immediately we get it. And that's the reward. That's the, 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 the reward. So we begin to understand the whole concept then, that a malus is what does it. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We're going to talk about that. But first I have to tell you, why is that so? Why is it if you're Omar Batura, why is that the mechanism to release the Orishan, the Torah, from its prison, from its chains? And the answer is very interesting concept. What is the essence of a mitzvah ultimately? What a mitzvah does, it allows you, by doing the mitzvah, to testify that God is the boss. Because the mitzvah, you don't want to do. It's against what you want to do. But when you do, do a mitzvah, you immediately testify that God's will is supreme because God's will is the only thing that exists. Therefore, what does Tumor want from you? It wants to make believe that you are everything. You, your will, you're the boss. You know, forget about God. What Tuma, what the Satan or the Eight Sahara is always trying to tell you that you are the man. You know what I'm saying? Ani is Gematria Tuma. Who? Ani is Gematria Tuma. 61. Very good. Bingo, as they say, right? Because uh, the Tuma is always trying to tell you that you're somebody. Therefore, you have a will independent of God. Therefore, you don't have to listen to God. You can also do what you want, you see. So therefore, if you're Omo, the greater the sacrifice, when you, when you do a mitzvah, not only are you testifying that the will of God is supreme, but the more you sacrifice, the greater is the seriousness of your intent, right? That God is the only thing that exists. Because what you're doing, when you sacrifice, you're negating your own interest. You see, when you sacrifice, when you work and you work hard, right, right for a specific cause, that says that you're incredibly interested in that cause, right? Real serious. So when you do a mitzvah without Messias Nefesh, that's a certain testimony. But when you do it and you have to give up so much of you, your interest, your self-interest, that's a much greater statement than Enid Mavadoi, that besides God there is nothing else and only His will is supreme. Therefore, that statement that you made with Amelis, which is a denial of self, is the exact antidote to the Tumor, which says that you are totally self. That's the mechanism. It's a Mida Keneged Mida. And therefore, the from Tsar Agro, according to the Tsar, is the reward. Why? Because the greater the self-sacrifice to do a mitzvah, the greater is the statement that Enid Mavadai. And therefore, that's the greatest reward. You see how it works? It's a beautiful mechanism. Therefore, our malus in learning Torah, or in any mitzvah actually, is the key to the reward that you get. Because with all the amelus and the labor and the effort, that's the key in making a statement of Enoi Mubadoi. Therefore, our malus breaks the keeper, And therefore, it releases the Torah and it flies into your mind, and there it is. It's a very important concept. That is our mechanism of how we get back the Orishan. That's very important, isn't it? Because if we don't release the Orishan, Shiach's not coming. Therefore, the essential avoid of the Jew is to release that or. It's interesting. Is to release the Orishan. You see, very important idea. It's not about it, by the way, you know, I'm not going to know Torah unless I really struggle with it. No, no, no. It's much more than that. If you don't struggle with it, you don't release the Orishan. You don't release the Orishan, Mashiach can't access it either. You see? It's just concealed. It is chained, and it's imprisoned. So what we realize now is that learning Torah with our malus is part of the Messianic process. It's interesting. It's not just to give us knowledge, like I said, which is shocking, it is to release the terror from its chains and automatically we will know because the Orishan immediately flies into your head. That's the power because of the identicality which I mentioned. So the question that we have to now ask is where are we at now? 
Or what is the history of the release? It's an interesting question. Can we actually trace the history of the release of the Orishim? Yes. I want to tell you something. If you trace it, then you know when the Mashiach comes. Because that's what he uses. He uses that Orishim. So therefore, the, the ability to look in history to see the release of that ore more and more and more is one of the incredible important indicators of when the Mashiach will come. Does everything make sense? You see? You are now prepared to look at the history of the release of the origin and therefore you, because of that you will now be prepared to understand what's about to happen. You see? Any questions? No. Well, okay, so for that you really have to understand what's going on, you know. So I will continue this next week. And next week you'll understand what's, what, what's happening now and what will happen, I believe, very shortly. This was a preparation to understand who? The Renaissance and Amelis. The Renaissance and Amelis, yes. Because remember, the essential avoided to bring the Mashiach is you need to release the ore from its keeper. That is the avoider. It's not a matter of I now and become a Talmud Chochem. It's much greater than that because that's Atzmus Yosef. You see? The essence of Yosef is that ore. Like I showed you, firstborn of his ox, Kani Reim. We're not talking here about, you know, just to be a Talmud Chochem. No. That is what does it. It releases the power of Mashiach Ben Yosef to do the Geula itself. And that is being released as we speak. And I will show you exactly how and the history, and then you'll understand what we're about to experience. How would the Renaissance, how would, how would Amelis allow us to tolerate the, the Orishon, especially understanding that Claudius went through a period of Aliyah, tremendous Aliyah, 49 days before they went to, they went through a period of Amelis. Yeah. Before they, and they're still not able to tolerate it. So why is it different now? Uh, I'm going to talk about that next week. I mean, it's just that, that because the, the, everybody's focused on, you know, Trump and what's happening and so on and so forth. I can just tell you one thing. It's Kalvachoyma. If God is going to help America become great again, to make Edom great, doesn't it make sense that he's going to do it for the Jews also? Right? And we're not talking about making America great and make it evil, like Rome, right? He made Rome great, but so what? Millions of Jews died. We're not talking about raising a clipper, an evil. We're not talking about raising that, right? We're talking about raising Edom to a state of Tahara, right? How much more so is he going to raise Klai Yisrael? That's what you have to understand, what's really going on. In fact, what's going on in America is the greatest indicator that the Mashiach is right around the corner because what happens to America must happen to the Jews and that's what I'm going to talk about next week I want to, I'm trying to show you the importance of this this is not just an election this is a weather vane you know you can see what's blowing in the right direction and next week you'll really understand what's going on you know so we now have the preparation to understand next week the history of the Orishim coming out of the Klippa coming out of the tumor, being released, and how it happened, and what's about to happen. So now we are ready to connect Shul, to listen to next Shul without dying. Without what? Without dying. Oh yeah, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, mean, I, I like to think that my she is so powerful that everybody's going to, they won't die, but you're like, you'll be <laughs> overwhelmed, you know. Uh, yeah, you'll be able to, you'll be able to understand <laughs> that.
know what's about to happen, you know. Uh, Shabbos is getting early, so I'd like to begin this year at 10.15. Yes, instead of 10.30. How's that sound? That's, uh, it's, uh, next Shabbos will be what? Oh, we I thought we, anyway, we're in 10.30. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, until everybody shows up, you know, it's like a... Oh, but there's some control. So really what you're asking is people should come on time. Yeah, people That's come on time. St- I want to start 10... I'm going to start 10.15 and you're going to miss, you know. Don't blame anybody. Don't blame Who? Don't blame anybody but yourself. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, because, c- you know, look, Shabbos was uh, over at like quarter after nine. I mean, or ten, what can you do until you get here? Until you say wife, I mean, what can you really say, you know? You know, but uh, we, we need to be a little early. What she could say. Yeah, I think she'll. Okay, thanks a lot. See you next week.